Well, tonight we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 20, picking up in verse 18. Now, last week, I purposely went through chapter 19 and the first 17 verses of chapter 20. And as we talked about those chapters, you could literally teach over a, you know, take one commandment a week. You got uh, the Ten Commandments, but uh, on top of that as well. And uh, I tried to squeeze in there quickly, understanding the, the New Testament believers. So just so you know, I, I don't have the notes on the church app tonight. They will be next week. But right now, if you want to go to the Word of Encouragement app, just go to the app store, type in Brian Newberry, and uh, the Words of Encouragement app will come up, and you'll see the notes right on there. It just takes a, a second to do it. And... Um, so let's uh, pray. Lord, we come before you now and we ask in Jesus' name, by the power of your spirit, that you would give us ears to hear all that your spirit is saying to the church tonight. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So we look at the law and the Ten Commandments is the beginning of 613 laws. And first you've got to ask yourself, what kind of law is it? You've got the priestly laws, you've got the ceremonial laws, you've got the civil laws, um, you've got uh, the, the Levitical law, you, in the civil law, if I didn't mention that, you've you got to break them down for them to make sense. And like I said, there's a whole group of laws that were made for only the desert time. When it came to the judges, or, and then later the prophets, and then later the kings, uh, the, the laws really didn't apply, uh, a lot of them. Now, he says, here's the law, here's the consequence. But as we're going to see as we keep going through Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, they're going, well, this is what the law says, but here's the situation. Do we, is that the way God wants it applied? And uh, they, they go to God with this. And, and Moses doesn't have the answer. He goes and seeks the Lord and says, yep. Here's what we're going to do. And sometimes it's just as severe, sometimes more severe than what they thought. But a lot of times it was very merciful. And, uh, and then a lot of times it's God declaring really his heart. Because as we're going to see tonight, many of the laws God gives are out of concession, not his will. And uh, so we're going to take a look at that tonight. But I wanted to finish up Exodus chapter 20. And first of all, again, I just wanted to recap on, on the law itself. What reason was the law given? Now, if you study Romans, especially the first seven chapters, it will explain to you that the laws are not laws because God said them. Okay? Truth is truth because it's true, whether God said it or not. Wrong is wrong because it's wrong, whether God said it or not. There's a lot of things wrong that God never said. You won't find one of the 613 verses saying, thou shalt not poke thy neighbor in the eye. But come on. God, God points out the things that, that um, are essential for us to know for our protection. So let me give you a quick little analogy. If there's, I got a big black barbecue in my backyard and my kids on their tricycles are playing all around it. Of course, my youngest kid now is 28, so bear with me here. But, you know, hypothetically, and um, nor do I have a backyard or a barbecue. But that's another situation. This is all hypothetical. But um, 
they're cruising on their tricycles, but now I'm going to go out and barbecue, and I get it all hot, and, and they're cruising their tricycles, and they like to put their hands up to balance themselves as they go around it. So I say to them, look, I need you to stay away, and I put the bench out or put some things there to say, don't cross this, and it's quite a ways away from the barbecue, right? And, and the kids are like, hey, I don't like this. And they're cruising around, and as soon as I go into the house for something, they, you know, go past that barrier, and they get closer, and I, you know, punish them or spank them or tell them, get back over there. But then finally, eventually, they, I, I, I try to explain to them, you know, this is hot. And in their mind, I touch that thing all the time. You're, it's ridiculous. But sure enough, they go. They put their hand on the barbecue. Ah, it's burning. And the kid comes up and just kicks me in the shin and says, the only reason it burnt me is because you said it was hot. Would that be true? No, it was hot because it's hot. Whether I said it or not, it was going to burn them. But why did I lay down a law? Why did I lay a boundary out? To protect them, right? This is why God gives us laws to protect us. Now, the Ten Commandments and the moral laws were set up, as said, we saw last week in Romans 3, and if you have the notes, these verses are there. In verse 19 and 20, it's to show us that we're under the law, okay? And it would stop every self-righteous mouth it would be stopped. Hey, Josh, there's some chairs up here. Guys, if you need a chair. And uh, to, to shut down every self-righteous person saying, I'm good and I'm righteous. And all the world would become guilty before God. So under the law, let me, let me explain this. I, I had the mayor of Chula Vista call me up a month ago and said, Brian, you've been living now in Chula Vista for 32 years. You have not broken into anybody's house. You've not killed anybody. You've not put anybody in the hospital. You've not ran a red light and ran over any children. So we are going to throw you a parade in your name for keeping the laws so well. Now, is that going to happen? It's expected to keep the law, right? And I, I don't break into anybody's house. I don't kill anybody. I, where am I at? I'm at zero. <laughs> I can't go and say, well, I've never been drunk driving. Oh, look at how righteous I am. It, it, it's, I'm at zero. But what does the law show us? That we can't even get up to zero. Go ahead. You, you guys, I'm going to say, don't raise your hands. Raise your hands. I, you guys need to understand. How many of you have used God's name in vain? Raise your hand. Okay, obviously, I need to go to the second one. Who has not lied? Raise your hand. Or if you have lied, raise your hand. If you have lied, raise your hand. Now, some of you guys who, who didn't raise your hand on the last one need to raise them now. I'm saying I could go through them. And we're going to break them. James says, if you break one law, you're guilty of all of them. Isn't that true? Let's, let's say 
I break into somebody's house and they catch me and they arrest me and they, they take me to court and, they, and I say, no, 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 no. I've lived here 32 years. This is the only law I've ever broken. You should just throw it out because I'm a great guy. What's going to happen? I broke one law, but the law is going to be fully against me, isn't it? You don't have to break two of them or three of them or four of them. One is enough. And this is what we see, that we have all broken the law, that we are all under the law. And of course, the New Testament then says, are you keeping the law by not killing somebody? He's saying, no. What is the heart of God on this issue? To go above the law by loving your brother, even willing to lay down your own life for somebody else. Not killing them, but risking your own life or even delivering your own life for their life. You're right? It's, it's not don't steal, pat yourself on the back. He goes, no. You try to have enough money to not just meet your own needs, but to give. And you guys who do have money, here's true religion, helping or orphans and widows in their need. You know, here, here's the, the real thing, to, to have enough for yourself and to store up treasure in heaven by giving to those who are lacking. You see, it's not about not stealing. It's about giving, right? And so we discover that we can't even get up to zero. How am I going to get above zero? And this is what the law teaches us, that our hearts are desperately, deceitfully wicked. We can't do anything about it. A brother just shared with me that word desperate. Where, where are you? What was, that? what was that word desperate again in the, in the Hebrew? Shalash. Anash. Anash. Incurable. <laughs> our heart is incurable and, des and, and wicked and what hope is there for us? We, we had to have a savior. And we looked at Galatians 3, verse 19 to 24, that said the law was a tutoress to see we can't stop our sinful nature. I mean, how many of you guys have said, okay, never again. I'm not going to get mad. And you lay on your bed and, and you, you come up with this fantasy where you, 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 you know, you're going to go to work how happy and joyful and, and, and you're going to say good morning, everybody. And I'm not going to be that grumpy old guy tomorrow. And I'm not going to yell at anybody for, you know, doing, you know, stacking the shelf wrong or whatever. And, and, you know, before breakfast happened, it's, oh, that's gone. But you had every intention you purposed with focus to make sure, but then it happened. This is what it does. It tutors us to see we are really under the law because we are sinners and we sin. And no matter how hard we try to be above the law, now, not, not to saying that we don't accidentally slip and do the right thing sometimes. You know, I mean, it's not, it's not that we don't, do good at times, and especially in, 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 in awesome moments where, um, you know, the fight or flight kicks in, where a guy on the military field will take his helmet and throw it on the hand grenade and blow himself up. You know, man can be great. Man can be heroes. We've been made in the image of God.
but I'm talking about a day-by-day thing, walking in self-control and gentleness and love and kindness and goodness. We cannot find a way. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I do want to do, I don't do. What can I say to this? I am in a sinful flesh, and I need to be saved. I need God's Holy Spirit to come into my heart, circumcise that old sinful nature, take it out, fill me up with his spirit, and now his spirit and the word and the body of Christ and the preaching of the word, all these things now mature us so we're not accidentally doing the right thing every once in a while, but we are actually walking in the righteousness God has given us as a gift. Colossians 2, let's do read this one here in verse 11 through 17. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, saying that Christ on the cross was circumcised for all of us. Buried with him in baptism, into which also you were raised with him through the faith and working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and in circumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all trespasses. Now here's the, the kicker in verse 14 of Colossians 2. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us which was contrary to us. Remember last week, Paul said, I, I really wasn't a covetous person, I didn't think, until I read the law, it says, thou shalt not covet, and all of a sudden I became a covetous person. I mean, if I had 100 shelves up here, cubby holes with, with doors on them, and I'm like, hey, can you watch these for me for four hours? I gotta go out. Feel free to look at any of them but that one. Don't open that one. Open any of them, all 99, no problem. But that one, thou shalt not open. The guy leaves and you're there for four hours in an empty room. What is your mind screaming? I'm, I'm so uninterested in the 99. <laughs> but what is it? I, you know, That's our flesh. And so the law, Paul said, caused sin that was already within me to become clearly sinful. I was a covetous person. And I just didn't recognize it as covetousness. I recognized it as being smart, smarter than everybody else, you know, working the system. Whatever it is, it, it was my flesh covering up the reality of my covetousness. But these handwritings, the 613 laws that we are under, they were, it says, they were, that were contrary to us. He has taken them out of the way, having what? Nailed it to the cross there in verse 14. So Jesus died on the cross. He also fulfilled the law for us. And again, this is Romans 8. We could not fulfill the law. Christ fulfilled it for us in his own flesh. And here in Colossians, it says, when he was nailed to the cross, Having disarmed principalities and powers, Satan and all the demon host, he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over it. So there's no condemnation in Christ. Satan can't be the accuser of the brethren anymore. So let no one judge you, food or drink, or regarding festivals or new moons. We talked this about this last week, Sabbath. 
Hebrews 4, how that was a shadow of Christ and resting in the finished work of Christ for salvation, which in verse 17 are a shadow of things to come. I love this, but the substance is of Christ. So again, in Romans, it said, if the law and also Galatians 3, it says in Romans 3 and Galatians 3, if the law could make somebody righteous, then Jesus never would have died. Right? I mean, in the garden, fathers, any other way. Yeah, we could add that 614th law and they're all good. There, there was no human writing that could cause there to be the change that had to happen because it has to happen in the heart and it can only happen by Jesus putting his righteousness in us and the Holy Spirit living in us and by the power of his spirit giving us the ability to do righteously. And we are what we are by the grace of God. We're all unfinished products, aren't we? And uh, I, I know I want it finished right now. Jesus, rapture us out of here. I just, I'm sick of this flesh. I'm sick of your flesh. I'm sick of everybody's flesh. And then in Romans 7, <laughs> in 1 through 6, and I, I wish I had time to read this. I don't. Um, he basically says at, there at the end that the law was like our husband. And we were the bride in this analogy. And we had to submit to our husband. And there's nothing we could do about it, even though our husband was, was oppressive and, 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 and just constantly showing us how evil we were. We had to, cut, we had to, we had to stay married. But then he says, what Christ did is our husband died. The law died. Our husband died. So now the wife is free to no longer have to be under this oppressive husband. And this is what happened again through the work of Christ. So in verse 6 of Romans 7, 6, But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit, and what? Not in the oldness of the letter. Well, that's what I wanted to add to you that we didn't cover last week. But in verse 18 of Exodus 20 now. Now all the people witnessed the thundering, the lighting, the flashing, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And they said to Moses, we speak, uh, you speak with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. How profound. Because isn't that what happens when we are daily in the word of God, our flesh dies. Daily, deny yourself, take up the cross. Daily, put to death. Crucify the passions and desires of the flesh. And it is true. We, we kill the flesh when God speaks. And they were absolutely right. But they, they, they again, as we're going to find out, were not willing to submit to uh, God. And so this was scary for them. But we feel it too, don't we? We'll read that scripture and go, oh, that two-edged sword got me. Oh, I got to do what? If your brother offends you, go to him. I don't want to go to him. Love your wife as Christ loves the church. She's, she needs to submit to me. I'm not going to wait. I'm not. It's like, no, 
We need to die that we might live in Christ. Well, Moses in verse 20 said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. Guys, you've been in Exodus. You've, you've seen all these various gods. You have all these ideas of all these pagan gods and you're attributing these ideas to God and, and you're, you don't understand who he is. You need to hear one voice now, not 300 voices. You need to get your eyes upon him and him only. And so the reverence and the awe and the presence of God. And yes, if you're not in right relationship, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But Moses said to the people, don't fear. And so in verse 21, the people stood afar up, but Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. We learn later that's the Shekinah glory of God. And the Lord said to Moses... Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, um, you have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. And so there's a couple of addition things here. I, I, I want to sort of add to what I just said. You shall not make anything to, to me, to be with me, gods of silver or gold, gods of gold, and you shall not make for yourself. So he, remember, he started off, don't have any other gods before you, don't have idols. But what does man quickly do? Yeah, I'm going to get rid of that old wooden thing, but this is made of gold. So God, you know, quality idols are still okay, right? <laughs> Expensive idols, I mean, we're not talking about the real gold ones, are we? Yes. I, even the expensive ones, even the quality ones, even, well, it's art though. Even if it's art, it goes. And in verse 24, and now let's talk about the altar that, that you guys are going to build. It's going to be of earth. You shall make for me. You shall not, you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. And every place where I re record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For uh, if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness not, may not be exposed on it. What does God say here? I don't want your fleshly um, efforts in worship to me. You know, I, I, I don't want your glitter. <laughs> I don't need it. It's not about the, the altar. It's about the sacrifice. It's about the dedication. It's about this, the worship. It's about the focus on God. Boy, we could learn a lot about that today, couldn't we? Because I, I really think in wanting things to be beautiful, wanting things to be comfortable, and that's fine. I think we have gone over, and I'm not saying Calvary Chapel, San Diego necessarily, but, um, you know, I have, I have even some friends, and, you know, they got the full light show and smoke and everything on Sunday mornings. And, uh, you know, all the high technical stuff, and, and uh, it, you're, you're sort of like singing, but what are they going to do next, <laughs> you know? You know, is, is there going to be like a... A clown on a wire coming across on a unicycle or something? Or, 
you know, what's happening? And, and, and it's, I, I just looking at this from the heart of God, God's like, don't make steps. Oh, that's a little steep there. So what? I, I, I just let it stay natural. Well, stack the stones up there. Well, it's not really, we'll get a different stone. Well, let me just chip a little off. No, I, I don't want any of your fleshly efforts to perfect in the flesh what God is doing by the spirit. So you just throw some rocks up there. Well, that's, that's not great. It doesn't matter. We're just sacrificing on it. It's, it's not supposed to be anything great. We're just there. And uh, it, it's quite interesting. I, I've studied church history, and every time there's a move of God, people are meeting in broken down warehouses and, you know, out in the forest and in parks, and they, they, it's, it's not in cathedrals. But yet in time, the church starts doing better, and the money comes in. They start making these elaborate buildings that the building itself gives you a sense of the glory of God. And a church can be dead for quite some time because they didn't realize the glory had departed because it didn't feel like it because of the giant high ceilings and the stained glass windows and, and, and all the beauty of the choir singing and, and, and you, you have all of these stones and all of these things that when you walk in, it's like, whoa, I just sense the presence of God. No, that's the sense of awe that man created, but it's so glorious. No, that's, that's the glory of what man has created. And yes, some of it does reflect to God. I, I, I'm not against beautiful architecture, but yet I, I definitely think there's a point where it distracts away from the simplicity of Christ. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians? I fear for you, Corinthians, lest you leave the simplicity that is in Christ and end up beginning to worship a different Jesus who we did not preach. Oh, it's just a bunch of dirt and stones. Jesus, he's just a carpenter from Nazareth. Isaiah 52 says his looks were comely. It was, it's a nice way of saying he was ugly. Jesus was not a handsome person. He was on the ugly side. From Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Do, do, we, do we get this? God Almighty he came as the king of Israel. No, he didn't. He came as the Einstein of the day. No, he didn't. He came as a great warrior. No, he didn't. He came as the most beautiful singer that the earth has ever heard. No, he didn't. He was a good fix-it man in that stinking little dirt town, Nazareth. There, there's his claim to fame for his first 30 years. Do, do we get it? God doesn't want us to be intimidated. God doesn't want us to, to see things as if, wow, that church down there, they've got this and they got that. And, and, and wow, we need to go get that. I, 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 through the years, I mean, it's like, Brian, you got a coffee shop in your church yet? No. Well, you know, you got this bookstore with artwork and uh, no. And all these fads came through. And I, I can tell you, pastors, went into serious debt to make sure they had a Starbucks looking coffee shop and a, you know, a Barnes and Noble looking bookstore. And, and, and then the fad went away 
and, uh, and they were stuck with the big white elephant. And, uh, you know, I, I've tried to stop and, and just ask herself, Jesus, what are you doing? But typically it's hewn stone and a lot of glitter. And we're going to make this thing look as good as the world's or better. And so when the people come to church here, they're going to know, wow, this is good as Starbucks itself uh, or whatever. And it's just not the heart of God. Well, chapter 21. Now, these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If, and he's going to now go talk about slavery. But before we go into that, let me just say a couple of things. We're going to start studying the civil laws. You will not find in here anywhere that God says, so if you are of any godly reputation of any kind of country, you will have the laws and do it the way I told the Jews to do it. It doesn't, nothing like that in the New Testament at all. There is no godly government or, or one set up by God. The civil government of Israel, God was their president. God was their king. And they received messages from God through their spiritual leaders and then told them to the people. It could only happen here. It can only happen in this scenario. And so we just, you know, people are saying, well, look at how ridiculous the Bible is. It wasn't ridiculous for these people that were living in the desert. It wasn't ridiculous for these people at that time and what God was doing. And as you study the Bible, it does evolve. It does change. And, um, and, and so when, you, when we look at that, it's important. But I will say this. All the Bible speaks of Jesus, if you can look at it. And it gives us his heart on what is equitable and what is just. And I think the heart of God is for everybody on the planet of the earth uh, of what would make for a good society. So I, I think if I were a judge or if I was in politics or whatever, I would really take a look at this and say, God, what, what, is, what can we glean out of this? Getting your heart and your mind, Jesus, on, on how you would have us to govern. And so it starts off with how to have Jewish, Jew to Jew, slavery. Now, some of you guys are going to just red flag it. Slavery, ah, I'm not going to listen to anything more. Just before you do that, I just want to say, God didn't want slavery. He makes that clear as we go through the scripture. We get to the New Testament, God abhors it. But when he took these children of Israel out of Egypt, there were just certain things they had a hard heart on that they were not going to capitulate. So God bent the branch as far as he could, but he pushed it any farther, he would just snap it. People would just say, I'm leaving Judaism. I'm leaving you guys. I'm going to go over here and live with the Moabites because I, I, can't, I can't live with that. And so there are many laws. So, for example, we, we have here slavery. Uh, we're going to see polygamy, more than one wife. We're going to see divorce. What did Jesus say on divorce? Well, Moses said we could divorce. No, 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 no. Moses, out of concession, said you could divorce because of the hardness of your heart. God never wanted that. And he made it abundantly clear. Two, two of 
join together, let no man separate. And so that was God's heart, and he eventually made it known. Now, a lot of these things, what he did, is he created them in such a way they would fall apart themselves. For example, polygamy. If you had more than one wife, the wife that was least loved, her and her kids got everything. <laughs> so when he died, the inheritance, and of course the judges and stuff would make sure, the neighbors and everything, that hey, he didn't love that wife as much as he loved his other wife. So she got everything. And, and of course, if you love this wife and the children you had with that wife, what, what's your natural inclination? I want to give everything to them. And so basically it just stopped in the, in the Jewish culture because it just, it didn't pay off in the long run for them. Well, so the slavery they had here, and I'm going to explain what this kind of slavery was. It's nothing like the slavery we had here. It's nothing like the Roman slavery. It's nothing like the slaves throughout the world today. It was not forced. It was not for a lifetime. It wasn't anybody taken and a matter of fact, in, in probably half of the time, it was people asking to be slaves. And we're going to explain why. In verse 1 here, or verse 2 now, it says, So if you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years. And the seventh year, he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then he shall uh, go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, she has borne him sons and daughters. The wife and her children shall be her master, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master. Stop there. But if the servant plainly says, his six year is up, he's free, free and clear. I love my master, my wife, my children. I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him in. Uh, to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an owl, and he shall serve him forever. So people, before they came into slavery, understood. Here's the parameters. Now, I would like to add, it's a whole lot more than him just going out free. Skip down in verse Deuteronomy 15, verse 12 to 15. Deuteronomy says, when the man goes out after the sixth year, in Deuteronomy 15, 13, you will send him away free from you. You shall not let him go out empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally with your flock, with your threshing floor, from your wine press, from what the Lord has blessed you with, and you shall give him. Do you notice the word liberally? You're going to give him this. You shall remember, you were slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. What happened? Remember back when the children of Israel left Egypt, um, God said, go ask all these Egyptians for all their spoil, for all their riches. And God put it on the hearts of the Egyptians, say, here's all my gold, here's all my silver, here's all my best fabrics. They, they gave all the wealth of Egypt to the Jews as they left. For the 430 years of slavery, they, they got their back pay. Now, it's interesting to actually read the Jewish documents. There's a wonderful writer by the name of Edersheim, and he has a large commentary on the Old Testament, another one on the New Testament, uh, explaining from a Jewish perspective uh, how 
they would have looked at what happened in the time of Jesus and how they would have looked at the law. But he actually explains a few things. First of all, not just anybody could be a slave owner. It had to be one of the prominent known elders of Israel. And so if a guy got himself in debt and he's not going to be able to get seed to plant his field and feed his family, he could go and say to the guy, would you pay all my debts off and, and help me out? And, and it's like, okay, you're, you're my full-time employee for the next six years. You know that, right? And you don't get paid. I give you whatever you need and place to live. But he's like, yep, I, I need this. On the other hand, if a guy became a drunk, the council of the city would get together and say, you know what? You are not being profitable. Here are your choices. We can stone you to death, or you can be a slave for the next six years. And so he would become a slave. And so in those cases, the, the elder who's the slave owner has his work cut out for him. He may have to beat that guy. Now, if the guy's married, his whole family comes in for protection for them, to help them, to watch over them, to feed them, to take care of them. Sometimes a guy is, has anger issues and mistreats his family. Um, sometimes a guy just becomes lazy. Sometimes a guy mismanages his situation and, and gets himself upside down. He can't get out of it. And so um, you became a slave, but it was understood up front. The day I leave, and Edersheim points out, that he's paid for the whole six years back pay. And, and, the, and the owner of the slave realizes the day that guy leaves, he's going to be wealthy. I mean, I, I've asked before, it's like, how many of you guys would like to have full-time employment, all your bills paid, and after six years, you get a large sum of money? It's like, sign me up. But what would happen often, and Edersheim actually said, a lot of elders wouldn't be slave owners because it happened too much. Because slave owners were basically to take their slaves as a part of their family. And he would take this guy and he would say, you don't treat your wife like that, buddy. And if I see you do that again, I'm going to whip you. That is not the way you, you father. And then, of course, he'd have his own example. And, uh, or a rebellious guy would come in and he would, you know, like a lot of hardcore guys going to the military and the Marines straighten them out, right? So often at the end of their six years, it's like, this is over. The guy just says, I've never been happier in my life. I've never been more fruitful. I have learned so much, and I know there's so much more to learn from you. I don't care to own my own business or run my own land or, or I, I just, I just want to remain because the best me is the me submitted under your authority. So this is where I shall stay. And he has to go get the elders of the community, the various judges. He brings them to the front of the slave owner's house, to the door, or uh, if he has a doorpost, on the doorpost, 
and he lays against it his earlobe, and he has to say, I love my master, and I am stubbornly going to say, I will not leave. He is my master forever. And they would put a hole through his ear with an owl, and then they would put an earring in it. And in that community, he was an honorable man. He had great respect because they know that he's not a slave because he had to be a slave. He's a slave because he wants to be the best person he can be. How does that spell out in the New Testament? This is exactly what it says we are to be. In Ephesians 6.6, 6, um, he, he tells us there that we as Christians to our employers, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as what? Bond servants of Christ. That's the word. A forever slave. Doing the will of God. How? From the heart. Colossians 3.24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. 1 Peter 2.16. But yet as free, not using liberty as a cloak of vice, but as bond servants of God. So we came to the place to say, I, the best me, <laughs> is the one where I give myself unto Jesus as my Lord, as my God, my Savior, but as my master. And I am a servant of Christ. And then, of course, every time Paul describes himself as a leader of the church, I am a doulos, a servant. God has made me the servant in the church. That's the word that we often translate um, in that way, referring to uh, a leadership role. So anyway, um, it's, it's a beautiful thing when you, you see it biblically. We're just going to go a couple more verses on this issue, and then next week we'll, we'll finish up this area. But if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master, who has betrothed her to himself, then he shall be to her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to any foreign people, since she has dealt deceitfully with her. And if he has betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of a daughter. He's, he, she is his family. He has to treat her as if it was his own daughter. And if he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, her marriage rights. And if he does not do these, thing, three, three, these three things for her, then she shall go out as free without paying money. So this is a case, again, it's, it's making the best of a bad situation. And, and the societies throughout the Bible, throughout the Roman Empire, you had the rich and you had everybody else. In the Roman Empire, you were a Roman or you were a slave. There wasn't really anything in between. And, uh, and so in this situation, you're in a caste system, which Jesus destroyed. <laughs> in that caste system, if, if you know, the, the only opportunities your daughter could marry your beautiful daughter was somebody that's poor like you, and she's going to live a hard life, and I, I, she's a beautiful girl. I don't think she can do that. And you want to try to marry her up, um, then 
you can go to a guy who's wealthy and, and say, hey, here's my daughter. Uh, consider her as a bride for your son or for yourself. And, um, and he will pay a, a handsome amount to the, the dad. And then she's taken in to be considered for marriage. That's it. If for some reason it, she doesn't marry the son or marry the dad or somebody within the family, dad keeps the money and she goes home free. She cannot in any way. And understand, outside of having a rebellious slave, like a guy who's a drunk or uh, who's, who's been mistreating his family and he comes in, the, the, the slave owners were to, were to treat the slaves lovingly and respectfully. They would all go to the synagogue and worship together. And it was family. It wasn't uh, the kind of slavery that we have throughout the world today that's kidnapping people or taking people or forcing people and then basically using them as a, a hard labor or a sex slave or whatever, a misbuse. I mean, all these things are abhorrent. So I, I get it that our early part of our country, they even use the scripture to say, look, God's for slavery. Bring them on over. And, uh, and, and, and to then just ignore everything else it says about slavery. Great. Bring them on over for six years. And then you make, you give them, you make them wealthy. Um, you know what? I, I don't think we'd have the issues today that we have. And this is something I'll throw out here as an ending. My personal thoughts are, you know, the people that were slaves in our country were saying, okay, you're no longer a slave. You had an embittered community. They couldn't buy land. They, they couldn't get jobs unless they basically gave themselves back into slavery, even a worse slavery. Um, they were never going to be seen as equal citizens. They were always a second class or the bottom class. And of course, even up into modern age in the 50s, don't eat here, don't drink there, don't use the bathroom there, you can't get on these buses. If you do, you got to set them. It's, it's, it's unbelievable to me that our forefathers who were studying the Bible didn't say we're ending slavery and... <laughs> Just like the children of Israel when they left Egypt, uh, just like a slave who left their Jewish person, you need to give them land, you need to give them a house, you need to give them money for seed, you need to give them things to plow with, you need to set them up for success. But what we did is we oppressed them, and then when they weren't slaves, they were oppressed even worse. When slavery was over, you know, they might have been tap dancing for a day or two, but then they were put in even to a worse situation. Yeah, I was golfing oh, a couple years back with a, a, a gentleman and his son. And of course, they looked like they were the same age, but this guy was up in his 80s. And, uh, and I'm like, how would you end up in San Diego? And he came back during World War II. And he was working making uh, the, the various things for the war. I'm like, yeah, tell me about that. He said there was one little blocked off area and all black people had to live there. And you couldn't buy anything. You couldn't own anything. And, uh, and then he said, then they passed a law in the 50s that they could buy, but only in this area they marked off. You had to only by in that area. And then he's just talking about the working conditions. It's just, 
I mean, I was just like, I mean, that's not, I was born in 1960. I mean, that's not like 200 years ago. This is not in a foreign country. <laughs> this isn't even in a different state like Alabama or something. This is in San Diego. You know, and, it, and again, it just comes back. Next week, we're going to look, and God deals out some of the most severe punishment on mistreating foreigners. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about our country right now with legal and illegal stuff because it's right here in the scripture. And I, I think there's a, an equitable and just from the heart of God um, thoughts on that. And also my thoughts you get if you come, <laughs> even though it's Valentine's Day. So um, I, I do not go out on Valentine's Day. I, I hate the crowded restaurants. I hate all the noise. I hate waiting for an hour and a half to get a table and then another hour and a half to get the food and then you have to pay extra and it's all the parking. It, it's like the Valentine's Day. Of course, for my wife, she has Valentine's every day. Right, honey? <laughs> but... If you're going to do it, you know, celebrate on a different day than the 14th. That's for suckers. <laughs> buy, buy the flowers after, after they go down in price. Well, Lord, we thank you again for your word and just learning it. Being disciples, learning the word, line upon line, verse by verse, thought by thought, principle by principle. And to, and to get your heart on these things. And Lord, you, as we're going through the law, some of the most difficult, dry parts of the Bible, I would say, still, our hearts are stirred within us in what you shared with us tonight. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen, amen. God bless you guys.